demons, exorcism, and the devil? In Acts 19, as the Apostle Paul brings the gospel into Ephesus, the sick are healed and demons are exorcised. But this miraculous power attracts imitators. Some Jewish exorcists witnessed Paul's activities and believed the name Jesus must be the latest new thing in secret power over the forces of darkness. They try it. Let's take a look with our study leader, Dave Wurtzen, at what happened. Angel, demon, Satan. Man, you combine them together, make them the head billing of the movie, weave it together with a good story, give it a little media attention. Man, you got a blockbuster. You want to make money? You can do it. Ask Dan Brown, Angels and Demons. That's one of his first books that he wrote. And now he's a multimillionaire, and he weaves a story. Not too true, not too accurate, but man, is it a riveting story. And some of you, maybe your first exposure to exorcism was way back with the exorcist, where this teenage girl was possessed with the devil. And some of you are shaking your head, so I'm connecting with some of you from that generation. As we move towards Halloween in October, this is September. Praise the Lord, it's a few weeks we'll get released from the heat. But as October starts to build, your theaters the week before Halloween will be filled with vampire movies and demon movies and occult movies and all that kind of thing, the darkness. And some of you think that it's just play, that it's just pretend. And some of it is. Some of it is just entertainment, and it's just a gloss of not real. But we open up to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is telling us that there's a kingdom of God What's really connected with the spirit. And it's a world where there's angels and there's goodness and there's the power of the Holy Spirit bringing healing and release. But it also teaches in the book of Acts that Satan is attacking. And for example, one of the ways that we're putting together the story of the Bible, we've told you that the theme of the Bible is Genesis 3.15. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And that's the seed of the serpent, the deceiver, the murderer. And the seed of the woman are those that believe in God's promise because Genesis 3.15 says that a great deliverer is going to come. When we open up to the book of Acts, the deliverer has already come. The climax of God's redemptive story has taken place. He died on the cross of Calvary. What Satan tried to do all through the Old Testament, he kept trying to murder the male child. He kept trying to destroy the male child. At Calvary, he did it, and then the Lord said, I got you. Because the story was a story of sacrifice, where the penalty for our sin would be paid. And Jesus broke the back of the satanic kingdom at the cross of Calvary. Because it made it possible for a just holy God to forgive the rebels. It gave the just holy God a legitimate, totally accurate, just, righteous way for you and I to move from being a traitor and a rebel against the Lord to becoming one of his very own children. And to really seal it, Jesus rose again on the third day. And then he appeared for over 50 days to his original apostles and the 120 that are gathered in the upper room. And as you open up the pages of Acts, Jesus is interacting with them about the kingdom of God. What does that mean, the kingdom of God? It means God's reign. And the apostles think the Old Testament said that the Messiah would die, 
The Old Testament predicted in Isaiah 53, Psalm 16, many, many times, Psalm 22, predicts that the Messiah is going to die as a sacrifice for sin, but then he's going to rise again. But then the Old Testament says the kingdom's going to come. In other words, God's going to set up his reign on earth. The Messiah is going to start ruling in Jerusalem, and the evil is going to be thrown out, and God's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. All those promises of a utopian age are going to take place. So the disciples asked Jesus in Acts chapter 1, are you at this time going to do that? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to fulfill your promises to Abraham? And Jesus didn't say, no, I'm not going to do that at all, ever. But he said, no, it's not for you to know that, but you're going to receive power because God has created a new part of the redemptive story. And we're it. You see, the Old Testament predicted that us as Gentiles would be welcomed into the kingdom of God, but it didn't predict a time where the Messiah would carve out a special people for himself called the body of Christ, called the bride of Christ, that would combine Jews and Gentiles as brothers and sisters, and they would be commissioned to go and bring the resurrection power of Jesus, the good news of forgiveness, to all the nations of the world. That's where the story of the Bible comes together. In Genesis chapter 11, you close with the nations wandering. The Tower of Babel takes place. They rebel against the Lord, and the nations are scattered. And the Jews are supposed to bring a blessing to all the nations, but they didn't do it. So there's all these wandering nations. At Pentecost, God brings the diaspora, the Jewish people, from all over the then-known world, and the nations gather, and the Lord declares the good news through them. That's how the story goes together. But there's all these Gentiles, including us, that haven't heard the good news yet. So before Jesus ascends to heaven, he kicks the story again. That's where we're at. Jesus says, you're going to receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses starting at home and then Samaria and Judea and then onto the uttermost parts of the earth. And that's what we're involved in right now. That's why we exist as a church, to take this good news about the resurrection power of Jesus to every people beginning here at home and then spreading out from that. Amen? As you take that good news out, Satan attacks. He was destroyed. His kingdom was beaten. But the Lord keeps the story going. The conflict is still going on. So right now as you sit there, there's a battle over your life. There's a battle of your souls. There's good angels that are taking care of you. There are demons that are seeking to depress you and make you sick and to hurt you. That's a very real struggle. If I were teaching in the developing world, I don't have to take any time at all proving that. When I taught a whole group of pastors down in Brazil, they have exorcism pretty regularly on a Sunday morning. And so when I talk to them about incompetent exorcists, like we're going to look at today, it's no big deal. In the American Western culture, in the developing world, Satan's tricky. He kind of goes underground. He doesn't do as much just straightforward physical things, but he's still present. Like getting ready for this message, I really need you to pray because there's an oppression and discouragement and a lot of the internal struggle that the satanic oppression brings against us. You and I are in a battle and the serpent's still striking at us, but we have the victory through the victorious Christ. So as the gospel, when you open up to Acts chapter 19, we learned when we left off the story of the book of Acts that the apostle Paul reached out to 12 Ephesian Jewish believers that had only heard the baptism of John. Now they've heard the baptism of Jesus, and they received the Holy Spirit. 
Paul now settles down in the synagogue of Ephesus, and he begins to dialogue with them. So as we begin this chapter that's going to focus this episode about incompetent exorcists, we're going to start out with where Satan attacks. As the gospel begins to go out from you, as you begin to share with people, one of the things that all of us need to realize is you're going to be attacked. Whenever you start to feel that weird craziness and relationships are fracturing and there's weird kinds of illnesses, that's the oppression. That's the warfare that we're in. There's real spiritual warfare as you start to reach out. You say, Dave, where do you get that? Look what it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue, so he's going out among the Jewish people in the synagogue, and he spoke boldly for three months. I want to encourage us to speak boldly for Jesus. We need to do it in the marketplace. So in your places of business, in your schools, in your hospitals, wherever you are, ask the Holy Spirit every day to help you to be bold and wise and skillful in the way you present the gospel. And then we're living in the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul was speaking boldly for three months. What did he do? He debated. It translates the text in the NIV arguing what, what Paul would do is dialogue. We need to learn to dialogue with people. Like this morning, I sit here yelling at you and you just sit there. Okay, that's a very dominant Protestant way of communicating. In Paul's day, they argued back and forth. You see, Jewish people express themselves and they argue and that you would think they're ready to kill each other and sometimes they are. In fact, in the book of Acts, they kill the Apostle Paul. But one of the things I want us to be praying about is that we'll get into real dialogues with people, that we'll get into real discussions with people. So the Apostle Paul, what he's doing, the Apostle Paul would go into a Jewish synagogue and he would debate with them, showing them from their Jewish scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And it was true because the Old Testament predicted that the Messiah would die on the cross. And Paul would make the connection from a messianic savior that died and was pierced and was a sacrifice for sin with Jesus. And he argued that persuasively. When he was with Gentile people, he would argue from creation, how every one of you, in him you live and move and have your being. He would argue with them about how the sun comes up, and it's showing you that there's a good God that will bless you, and it only makes sense if there's a good God that gives you happiness and gives you food, that he would ultimately try to reach you and meet your need. And Paul would tell them about God sending, the creator God sending a son. That's how the apostle Paul would put it together. That's what the book of Acts is revealing to us. So the Apostle Paul is dialoguing and debating what is he persuading them about, the kingdom of God. What I want to make sure, are you part of the kingdom of God? Are you? What does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God? It's not just a place. It's not just the fact that you're going to go to heaven someday. In fact, the kingdom of God one day is going to involve a new heaven and a new earth. Right now, the kingdom of God's among us, and the kingdom isn't so much a place. It is God's reign. So when I ask you, are you part of the kingdom of God, one of the things that's really important, have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you invited him to come and live in your life? But it's also important, if that's true, then this morning, I need to let Jesus reign in my life. I need to let him rule in my life. So this morning, the time for us to ask ourselves, are we letting Jesus rule over our attitudes, over our speech, over our actions, over our jobs, 
Because that's what the kingdom of God really means. Jesus will say, hey, you can't just listen to what I say. You got to do what I say. So the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts could go before unbelieving audiences and says, hey, look at my life. You know that I follow God's rule. And the Apostle Paul could even say, you see my obedience to the heart of the law. Paul doesn't mean that he's under the law, but what he's saying is he can say to audiences at the end of the book of Acts, as he's on trial, he'll tell people, hey, you know my life. So that's really convicting me this morning. Can I go to those that I work with? Can I go to those that I've lived among? And can I say, hey, have you seen the presence of Jesus in my life because of my actions? That's what it means to be under the kingdom of God. We just buried T.E. Baxter. He's 93 years of age. And he outlived almost all of his friends. But you know what? There was a church that was filled with people even when he's 93. Because T.E. loved Jesus, amen? In his service, they talked about the death of Christ. They talked about the resurrection of Jesus. They talked about T.E. as a young man telling that message in the military during World War II. They talked about him in his, in his teaching, talking about that. And then I look around, and all these school administrators that were leading the schools when my kids were little, they're all there. And they're all testifying they know T.E. believed in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus. I want you to understand that T.E. is 93, and he permeated Midlothian and the surrounding area through his life and his message. Not perfect, committed. Amen? I want you to get encouraged about that. You know, the Holy Spirit's still in the process of doing that. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's saying that he's debating with them, persuading them, you need to join the kingdom of God through the power of Christ. But what happens when you do that? Some of you say, well, Dave, man, I really started talking to the Lord about the school, and I started talking about the Lord with my friends. Man, I tell you, my boss shut me down. I tried to get a Bible study going in the off time at school, and the principal came down and called me into the office and just attacked me. I'm out of here. Or I started working with the kids at Awana, and I started listening to their verses. And man, my business has caved since then. I want you to be ready for that. This is a real battle. Marines don't go into the battle, and when the bullets are flying, they look back at the commander and say, I can't believe this. They're shooting real bullets at me. I didn't sign up for this. This is stupid. I'm out of here. I'm really serious. The spiritual warfare is real. So if you're really making kingdom progress, if you're really reaching out to unbelievers, then there's satanic attack. We need to be ready for that. It says that the Apostle Paul was speaking boldly, but it also says here, but some of them became obstinate. You ever face obstinate people? It means they're stubborn. They don't want to listen. They don't want to talk together. These people harden. They become stubborn. They refuse to believe. So there's some people you work with, they're going to come a point that they're just going to refuse to believe. They're not going to buy into it. And they're going to publicly malign the way. They started blaspheming the way of Jesus. You need to be ready for that. How many of you get really, really mad when people curse Jesus? And how many of you are saying, I just can't believe it. It's so terrible. It's so horrible. What's this world coming to? Anybody react like that? Come on. They've been doing that for 2,000 years. It motivates me. You say, Dave, why is that? Because Satan's not omniscient or omnipresent or omnipotent. 
And so if you really get bad blasphemy, if you get real cursing against Jesus, if people are really mad, it means, man, the kingdom of God is breaking forth. The apostle Paul murdered Stephen and cursed the whole movement. He rejoiced that they stoned one of the most powerful evangelists in the first century. He was on his way to Jesus. He was on his way to meeting Jesus. And that's the perspective I want us to have. When people malign, when people curse, when people get really angry, often that's the sign that the kingdom of God is working. It's exploding. It's reaching out. I also want you to realize you, you don't need to keep hitting your head against a brick wall. The apostle Paul, when he faced that obstinance, rejection, public maligning, Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the province, all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Isn't that awesome? So what do you do when people reject you, when you're in one setting and they don't listen to you and they get angry and everything? Just move to another setting. Start working with another group. Keep on going. So the Apostle Paul worked three years. He's arguing in the Jewish synagogue, and a whole lot of people respond. And as they respond, the opposition lines develop strolling against him. And then he just moves over. He takes all those that believe. They go to the Greek lecture hall of Tyrannus which was very common in a Roman Greek city. And now he's reaching out to a bunch of Gentiles. And that's why the church is going to be composed of Jews and Gentiles. And the result of that is the word of God keeps spreading. I want us to pray that the word of God keeps spreading. I've asked one of my friends, Alistair, come on up here, Alistair. I want you to meet um, Alistair Howie. He went to our church years ago. He's a fellow Dallas Seminary guy. And uh, Alistair and I were at the Ministerial Alliance on Wednesday when we talk about the gospel permeating throughout the province of Asia, I want us to talk about the gospel permeating the city of Midlothian. So, Alistair, tell me a little bit about your journey. You know, you're a, you went to Dallas Seminary, and we've known each other for years, and you were very successful in the business world. Tell me a little bit about how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, thanks, David. I've been in and out of business, and uh, about two years ago, um, through a series of events, I resigned as a chairman of a quasi-public company and president of four investment companies, really because the Lord was drawing me back to himself. I didn't know it at the time. Morgan Stanley had approached me to be a part of their uh, high-performance private wealth management team. I passed the seven, couldn't pass the 66, kept missing it by 2%. So I got down to my knees and I asked, God, what is it that you want me to do? And the Lord reminded me of the call he had on my life when I was 28. And so we went through about two years, plowed through all my severance, finally got rid of my Jaguar, just sold our high-priced home here in July. But it was a journey. It was a journey of dying to myself so that Christ could be Lord. And to be honest, my brothers and sisters, I had to repent because I'd gotten comfortable with the world. I thought I'd trust God, but David, I really didn't trust God. I trusted all the things he gave for me and to me. But what Christ wanted more than anything else is he wanted to be the main cause. But he wasn't the main cause, you see. The things of this world were the main cause. So we serve a jealous God, and because he loved me, he broke me. I was filled with anxiety. I had to repent of not trusting him. And after about two years, God spoke to me powerfully over a series of several weeks. I came out of the shower. I talked to my wife, said, honey, God has spoken. 
And so she's thinking, about time. <laughs> so I said to her. So what her, did the Lord tell you, Alistair? What was the bird that he put on you? Yeah, David, it was really the words out of Acts chapter 20 when Paul That's is right. compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And the Ephesians are begging him, don't go there. You're going to die there. You're going to face hardships. So I get out of the shower and tell my wife, honey, you're not going to believe this. The Lord really wants me to focus my attention here on this local mission field as a chaplain. She said, what? A community not chaplain? Not a military chaplain. Not a military what chaplain. Kind of a, every, everybody knows what a military chaplain is. But tell them what kind of a chaplain you are, Alex. I'm here in the community as a community chaplain through yeah. Manor House. So what yeah. that really means, David, my whole purpose is to build caring relationships <laughs> with the hopes of gaining permission to share Just the Just so that all of you know what Manor House is, we founded Manor House under the auspices of most of the churches in Midlothian so that we could coordinate all of our outreach with food, with indigenous needs, with giving presents at Christmas. Alistair is the community chaplain through MANA, which is the unity of several churches that really believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's exactly right. So as a community chaplain, part of what I do is I walk through the community and through worksite visits, touched all the local businesses. So over the course of last year, there were 75 businesses that I was able to touch. On a monthly basis, I probably touch about 40 of them. I'm also a police chaplain, fire chaplain, and also uh, kind of work with our city government. But through that, the first several months, boy, I got stonewalled. It was, it was difficult. That you've lived what I was just talking about, Alex. That's with. right. Tell us a bit about like, your chaplain over how many police and fire chaplains are working with you? There are seven chaplains right now. Now, I was just talking, Alistair, about reaching out to unbelievers, how the gospel spread throughout Asia. Share with me a little bit about how you're using the business world to really present the gospel right out there in the marketplace. Yeah, thanks, David. There are about three different types of people in our local businesses. You've got Christians that are grieving and suffering, so bring hope to them, bridging the gospel in light of where the current situation is. There are those believers, too, surprisingly enough, that aren't connected to the local church. So I encourage them. But then there's a third group that don't know Christ at all. And so I'll give you an example. There's a a lady, a store owner here in town. And I've been visiting with her for about a year. And every time I go in, I normally ask, are there any prayer needs? What can I I be praying for for you? And so uh, one day she shared that she was a Catholic. And she was reading a book called A Proof of Heaven by Dr. Ebner Alexander. She said, had I heard about it? Had I read it? I said, I had not. I said, tell me about that. So she began to tell me about that book. And as she was telling me, she was asking me, well, what do you think? I said, well, it's not biblical because the heaven is not described in the way that this book refers it to. Also, this doctor refers as that you can do no wrong. And I said to this particular person that you may not be able to do wrong in heaven, but you've done wrong here. And the only way into heaven is to acknowledge a sin before a holy God. And so I began to share the gospel. Three days later, she sends me a text as I'm in the middle of an event with my wife. And I made sure my wife saw these texts. And so I text her back and I presented the gospel to her over the text, following up from our prior discussion. And she said, Alistair, I believe in what you've just said. Powerful. She's now a district manager and who knows where the gospel is going now. Isn't that awesome? Alistair, how many conversations are you in right now with unbelieving folks? Over 22. Over 22 And how many people do you think are out there that would want to get in conversations? 
all 22 of those, half of those are probably police and fire, and the other 12 and growing are local business owners, okay. including, by the way, a Hindu. So we need do to be praying for Do you for need her. some help making connections with some of those? Yes, I women? do. Right. Yes, I okay. do. That's why Alistair's here. I want you to know, Alistair, you're willing to give them like 30 hours of training, you told me? That's correct. To get them ready to do that? Yeah, and to disciple them and to take you with me. I'm a firm believer that uh, when the disciples were sent out, they were sent out in twos. I'm a big proponent of going with Amen. people and showing them, you know, how to have good gospel conversations. So what I want you to realize, the gospel was spreading out to Asia. The gospel spreading out in Midlothian. We want to make it really hard for someone to go to hell in Ellis County. And Alistair, his, as a community chaplain, he wants to help you to know how to reach out to folks at Gradal, how to reach out to people at the cement plants, TXI, and on and on it goes. We know that there's believers in a lot of those places, how to reach out as a teacher. And so let's give Alistair a hand. I just wanted you to get, get an idea. This is the real thing. Thank you. Love you, brother. Okay, great. Remember, Stephen's ministry, if you're a mercy person, you could go to the hospital if you have the gift of mercy, and there's people that don't have any connections. They don't have anyone that really cares. You could just go to the waiting rooms if you were trained and just be there with people. Be there while they go through surgery. Pray with them. There's all kinds of opportunities. So we've got all kinds of ministries. But as the gospel goes out, as you get involved in these ministries, the text tells us that Satan will attack. The Apostle Paul had great power. If you read how powerful he was, it says God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. The book of Acts is telling you that Paul, like Peter, had the same power of Jesus, and that's why I'm teaching you from the book of Acts today. Because Dr. Luke, who traveled with Paul and was under his authority, wrote this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that I know this is inspired is because Paul could do the same kinds of miracles that Jesus did. In fact, just like Peter was able to just have a shadow in Acts chapter 5, bring healing to people, Paul's able to have just his sweat rack. In the ancient world, they didn't carry handkerchiefs, they carried sweat racks. And they could just send a sweat rag to somebody that was healed. This isn't a TV evangelist that gets money. Paul didn't get any money for it. But that was the power of the healing ministry of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul will say to the Corinthians who are fighting and rejecting him, he says, I gave you all the signs of an apostle, which were miracles, powers, and wonders. And he was referring back to the time in the Ephesian ministry where he had that kind of healing power. He didn't always have it. Epaphras later on gets sick, and the Apostle Paul has to pray. It takes a long time. He tells Timothy to take a little wine. He doesn't send him a handkerchief. So there's a balance here. That's why in our church family, I want you to read the story in its context. I also want you to understand, though, that there's real power in the kingdom of God, and though we don't have apostolic power, we still have the power among all of us as believers as we pray. The Holy Spirit does give glimpses of the kingdom, and I want you to really believe that. Contrary to the exorcist, demons usually express themselves in the New Testament not with weird things where it's kind of spooky. It's more illness and weakness. In the Bible, there's a connection between your physical body that has physical diseases, but it also is influenced by spiritual attacks. 
It's not the old primitive idea that we reject medicine. Dr. Luke that wrote this book is a medical doctor in the first century. Even modern medicine understands that there are physical illnesses, but there can be illnesses that apparently have no physical cause. What Dr. Luke is telling us is that that's from the malvalent, evil, oppressive spirits of the evil one. I want you to understand that that's a very real part of our lives. That's why we need to pray for one another. The Apostle Paul had incredible power and anointing from the Lord to command in the name of Jesus for those demons to come out. And to be honest with you, in the Scripture, you don't have all kinds of rituals and all kinds of praying through and all kinds of mapping. There's just the power of the name of Jesus. So I want you as believers to have a balanced spirit that you know there's power in the name of Jesus, but be really cautious about someone that's telling you, I have the formula. They say, why is that? Because some Jewish exorcists, this is kind of weird, in Asia, that were the sons of a priest, seven of them, started using the name of Jesus. They started going around, and they did exorcisms. And that's really important to understand. There's power in the name of Jesus, even if if someone that's not really connected with Jesus uses it. You need to understand that. But I want you to be careful about that. Because what it tells us here is that these sons of Sceva, that some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And the next paragraph describes how great fear comes upon the province of Asia. Those that are dabbling the occult bring their books. This is not a commanded book burning. The people willingly that have been involved in the occult and in sorcery and in demonic activities... They bring their stuff, and it's over 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money, at least $50,000, probably 100000 I, I don't know what silver is going for today. And then it says it closes this section with the word of God kept growing and spreading. My close to you today, I want you, because of Acts 19, to be involved in the marketplace in spreading the gospel. Like Alistair was testifying, all of us need to be under the lordship and the reign of Jesus. Amen? I want you to be praying that the word will spread throughout all of Ellis County through the ministry of the body of Christ. I want you to be prepared for this satanic attack. I want you to have a balance that you realize that not all illness comes from the devil, but some of it does. I want you also, in closing... Have any of you looked at astrology charts this week? Has anyone got their palm read? Have you monkeyed around with Ouija boards? Have any of your kids? As I close today, you've got to turn away from that stuff. Because you'll get beat up. As your pastor, I love you. Life is hard enough without opening yourselves up to the power of darkness. And I want you to realize those powers are very real. My nephew ministers in a land that is very much controlled by the darkness. One of the ladies that worked with him is a powerful witness. Those that are involved, like 
these people and demonic activity, they put a curse against her. What they do is they take paraphernalia and they buried it in her front yard. And it was a curse to make her sick and then to take her life. So this is real stuff. The Holy Spirit gave her a dream at night. She dreamt that the people came and put this in her front yard. So the next morning she went out, she dug it all up, she gave it back to them and said, I'm a child of the king, and your curses are not going to overwhelm me. And what Satan tried to use to make her sick and maybe to take her life, when the people saw, just like in the book of Acts, when they saw greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, then the gospel can spread. That's what I covet for you. So if you got any occultic stuff, I want you to get rid of it. Right here in this auditorium, I did a funeral of a missionary. And some of the children, they brought some of the paraphernalia. And one of the children went and got that. I had to dispose it. And to me, it was just a great big shield-like thing. But in their culture, in the darkness where they ministered, it was occultic. And it was very important, not believing there's magic, but not messing around. That family said, we'll dispose of it because we don't want any of that influence. Amen? So I want you today, pray as we move into the fall, that we're going to destroy the power of darkness through our dependence upon the resurrected Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you that there would be deliverance. Lord, keep Midlothian Bible Church totally committed to the resurrection power of the kingdom of Jesus. Help us to be totally free from any dabbling with the dark powers of the demonic, satanic world. I'd ask you that we'll realize that there's power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help our children to be safe this week, that you would help our friends and our extended relationships to be strong and well. In Jesus' name we pray.